Hello, I'm your host, Brett Hutchins, and welcome to episode 11 of the Media Sport podcast series. I want to start this episode by saying thank you to everybody who has downloaded and listened to the first 10 episodes. I'm happy to report that we've just passed the 1,000 download mark on iTunes and SoundCloud, which is a result that easily exceeds my initial expectations for the series. Going by the figures, which I've just checked, the series is attracting regular listeners in North America, the UK, Australia and New Zealand, as well as in Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Estonia, Colombia, Brazil, Japan and South Korea. I really hope that this international audience continues to grow in the future. Today, our attention turns to the world's most populous nation, China, and the second instalment of the new Voices in Media Sport initiative, which follows on from the episode that feature Porsche Van speaking about Twitter, social media and netball. I'm joined by Norman Lee via Skype. Norman is a PhD student at the University of Arkansas in the US who is in the middle stages of a thesis that investigates sport, social media and journalism in China. As you are about to discover, Norman is a fascinating character. His qualifications include a bachelor's degree in radio and TV news broadcasting from Guangzhou University in China and a master's in international relations from the University of New South Wales in Sydney. He is also an experienced media professional. From 2008 to 2013, he was a chief sports journalist for Tencent, one of China's largest internet and media companies. It is a job that saw him cover the Olympic Games, the Football World Cup and the World Swimming Championships. He's written more than 3,000 news stories and interviewed the likes of former International Olympic Committee President Jacques Rogg and Sebastian Coe, Chairman of the British Olympic Associations. He's acted as an interpreter for film star Christian Bale and former NBA basketball player Dikembe Mutombo. He's even hosted his own internet TV show called Stars Face to Face, where he interviewed the likes of Arsenal football manager Arsene Wenger and Italian football's Christian Vieri. Norman, that is easily the most colourful leading to an episode I've done and I want to thank you for taking the time to join me for the Media Sport podcast series. Hi everyone, I'm Norman. It's glad to be here today. Thanks so much for inviting me. Now, when we were organising this chat um, via email, you were in Canada for the FIFA Women's World Cup. What were you doing there and what were your impressions of the event? Um, it's kind of funny, like initially I went to Canada for attending an academic conference, NASAMS, um, which was held in Ottawa. It's kind of like a uh, fortune, so I, you know, the Women's World Cup was held in Canada as well at the same time. So after the conference, I decided to go to watch couples games there. So I applied uh, media credentials before the events, and, and also I went to couple games in Canada, in Ottawa in particular. So I went to four games um, in, in Ottawa. Um, it's kind of like an interesting experience for me. Because um, I have never uh, reported any like FIFA Women's World Cup in the past. It's actually my really first time to cover uh, female sporting events, and because I I covered like men's soccer World Cup twice in the past, like 2010 in South Africa and 2014 in Brazil last year. So um, the experience in Canada was the really first time for me to cover FIFA Women's World Cup. I thought the events. Um, was definitely going to be uh, huge because actually a lot of tensions worldwide. So one thing that really surprised me is like that was possibly the first event that I noticed that they did not have any security chat at all. 
events, which surprised me, because um, all the majority of the events organized hosted by the FIFA, um, you know, they they always have a very very tight uh, security check. So that was the first impression for me. So I did not find any security check throughout the entire um, the tournaments, and I was in. Ottawa, um, the capital city of, of Canada. Um, the stadium that was kind of small, though, the capacity of the stadium, I think, was, was about 24,000. So it's actually a very small soccer stadium. Um, it's kind of interesting to watch a couple of women's soccer games because I have, you know, I did watch soccer games as a uh, soccer fans in the past, but I have actually never. Uh, get a chance to report the, this women's soccer event. So the entire experience was fascinating. Um, so I had a great time there in Canada, actually. Yeah. Were you also doing reporting from the event? Yes, I wrote a story for uh, the Chinese websites um, in, in China. So because they, they more at the beginning, they were expecting me to write more story about FIFA because FIFA had been voting a lot of less scandals before the women's World Cups. And I was planning to talk to some, you know, um, the the presidents, whoever the FIFA is there, if I have a chance to meet them. But unfortunately, they didn't show up at all, so I didn't even have a chance to talk to them. So I write some stories about, you know, FIFA's World Cup for a couple of different Chinese medias uh, last month. Why did you decide to do a PhD? And I suppose, how have you found the process there in Arkansas? Um, it's it's actually a very hard decision for me to make to decide to quit my job and start with my PhD research. Um, you know, I, as you mentioned previously, I did my undergrad in China in journalism. So when I was a child, um, you know, to be a sports journalist is always going to be my dreams. And I went to Australia to study uh, my master's degrees there. And I had a great time when I went back to China and I started to work as a sports journalist. Um, I I was really lucky that I had the chance to work with the Tencent because the, you know I have a great time in those six years post journalist um, career, and you know I have to appreciate Beijing Olympic Games. I think Beijing Olympic Games definitely did um, offer us a more chance to to make our dream come true. So. Um, those six years of sports journalist experience definitely, um, I was really satisfied with the entire career that I had. And, and especially I had a chance to travel to so many countries. Like I've traveled to 25 different countries in the world. And I cover all the major international sports events. Uh, besides Olympic and soccer, World Cup, I also cover tennis, golf, Formula Ones, these kind of events. I was really fortunate to have a chance to talk to uh, with a lot of like sports stars uh, worldwide, and but like in two thousand thirteen, at their years, just one year right after London Olympic Games, I was asking myself, so whether that was the time for me to change because like I feel like I did not have any motivations to continue to work as a sports journalist in China, because I have made all my dream come true. You know, I covered two Olympic Games at that time, covered one soccer World Cups. You know, that was the events I want to cover when I was really young. Um, so I made that happen already. So I felt like I was lacking of the motivations to continue to work as a sports journalist at that moment. So I decided to change. I wanted to you know, go back to school uh, to, to actually to do some research. So I knew like doing a PhD was a very, very difficult task. 
because you really have to dedicate your mind into research, which is was something that I was not that familiar with uh, at the beginning. But I was I, I would like to think that it's kind of fortunate for me to actually make this move. Um, when I start to contact with the school here in the U.S., I contact with Dr. Dimore, which is currently my advisors right now. And we have a lot of similarities. And Dr. Dimore used to work as USOC for about 10 years, and then he quit his job and started to work on his PhD and then and became a professor at the end. And when I talked to him, I felt like that we have some lot of similarity and we have connection because I cover international sport, I cover Olympics, I cover Olympic movements. So I think a lot of, lot of our interests are very similar. Uh, I, I also really want to study about you know social media as well because the company that I used to work for, Tencent, provide a lot of different social media platforms. And it was kind of like interesting for me to see whether those social media platform has actually impact, you know, uh, sports stars, their communications or sports journalism practice. So at that, like in the middle of 2013, so I decided to, you know, quit my job and came over to the United States to study PhD. And could you describe what your project is? What are you examining? At the beginning it was hard uh, because I was trying to, um, narrow it down a little bit because I have a lot of different ideas, but you know, I just need to make sure those ideas is doable in, in research. And I would like to use my sort of like content that I have in the past, either you know, sports officials, either you know, sports and the, the athletes and the coaches. I would like to do some research about that at the beginning. So I did some research about. Um, coach-athlete relationship because I think that's easy resource for me to get access to because I know this athlete really well personally. So, um, and then I started to sh- shift my research into social media. That's something I want to do for a really long time. And I mean, for the last couple of years, last last year in particular, I started to really study about social media and I study how social media impact the Chinese sports journalism's um, perceptions, and and also I studied how you know sports fans use social media differently, how sports fans use Twitter, Facebook differently. So um, I'm working on my dissertation right now. I think I would uh, work on a project. Will I just see whether sports fans use like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram um, for the different purpose? Of uh, they have a different motivations, so I would like to measure whether you know they have a different purpose and different motivation and different gratifications um, by using a different social media platforms. Could for listeners who have not spent much time in China, which includes myself, could you describe some of the important features of the Chinese media market and landscape that people may not be that familiar with? Yeah, I think. Um, the media market in China is very, very different from the rest of the world. Um, especially um, Chinese media internet landscape um, is a completely different from the rest of the world. Um, in China, I think we have a, I think we have a three different types of the news websites in China. The first type is the website that are supervised and organized by state governments or central governments, such as um, China.com. So the second time, so the 
uh, websites are created or updated by the traditional news organization like People's Daily and the Beijing News. The third types of the news websites are the commercialized news websites like uh, uh, like the web postal, just like Yahoo. So in China, uh, for the last 10 years, there are four main uh, postal sites in China, like Sina, Soho, Tencent and 163, those four are four main web postals in China. So those four main websites basically provide a uh, lot of um, contents on the internet uh, where users could you know, get a lot of information from every year. So the four main commercialized uh, postal was gathered like hundreds of millions of users every day. So that become uh, one of the main sources for the internet users to gather information. And those companies are very different from Yahoo. Like Yahoo is uh, the company mainly really focused on to provide the content for um, on the internet. Those um, four uh, websites that I mentioned previously, they actually also provide other services as well. Sina, for example, like he does have provided Weibo, um, one of the most popular social media platforms in China. So they have provided Weibo service in 2009. Uh, Soho, it does provide um, like, uh, um, like online gaming. Um, they also provide like uh, uh, video programs. They have some corporate partnership with the movies. They have some investment in different movies industry as well. Like Tencent um, is uh, very different. So Tencent is the company that I used to work for. So it actually has incorporated different service into one companies. So at the beginning, it was really focused. Uh, it was really focusing on the IM Messenger like QQ at the very beginning, and then they start to expand their markets to other services such as web postals like QQ.com is the uh, the website they they provide the content for the users and also they do have like online gamings and also they have the social media services as well like WeChat is another really big main popular like social media platforms in China so um so kind of like different from um the web postal in the West um the Chinese web post they they also provide other service in order to survive in this market. And in this market, uh, the competition has been very intensive, uh, especially um, recently, um, the more and more online video websites are created and developed. So all the uh, internet or website, they try to you know, purchase as much as resource as possible. In sports in particular, like one of the big challenges right now for the majority of the websites, they try to um, get the broadcast rights. So right now you could watch the online live game uh, on the on the different websites. But the one of the biggest challenges for them is they, they're not able to broadcast the Olympic Games and the FIFA World Cups. Uh, because for IOC and the FIFA, they're only allowed to sell the broadcast right to one company only. So um, for those websites, it's very difficult for them to get these rights because uh, IOC and FIFA only sell this broadcast right to CCTV and whether those websites are able to broadcast um, the Olympic Games and the 
uh, FIFA World Cups, it would depend on CCTV, whether CCTV want to sell the online broadcast right to the rest of the, the, the website. So actually, they, they've been very competing for the resource right now. And tens, I mean, NBA, for example, the NBA, you could actually, on TV, you can you may only can watch one of one get day, but you know on internet you could actually watch um, as many games as possible. So in the past, the NBA uh, to cooperate with the Cena and Tencent together. So um, you could actually like as NBA fans in China, you are able to watch a lot of different games um, online. And but they are competing for the resource. So NBA just started new contract with Tencent few months ago, so Contra, uh, Tencent right now has an exclusive right to broadcast all the NBA games starting from next season. So so basically, um, they are competing for um, the resource, especially the broadcast right. The competition has been very intense. Um, yeah. A question about your the relationship between your PhD research and the sorts of things you've just described as well, and, and your work as a freelance journalist. Um, has... Your PhD research influenced or changed the way you think about sports journalism or, or indeed go about reporting yourself? Um, it's actually, I think they have some sort of impact. At the beginning, when I started with my PhD program, I felt like it was really interesting to see how people like study and research about the way that you're doing their try to understand um, sports journalism practice um, and they try to understand sports journalists, their behaviors, whatever. It's very interesting um, to see how people look at it from a different perspective because um, when I was a sports journalist before, I was not really thinking about, you know, our behaviors and our thoughts in that way, in that perspective. And I think, like, when I start to do the research and I start to understand more about social media, or more about sports journalist practice than I was before, and um, especially like how we're gonna use social media to brand ourselves. And you like in the past, I I was not a big fan of social media. I remember like when when I was working as a journalist in Tencent, our company created or developed a new social media tour like Weibo, we have our own Weibo as well, which is different from Sina Weibo. So uh, the company was kind of like forced us to engage with the Weibo. I didn't like it at all. I think, why do I want to share my thought on Weibo? Because like my opinion, my thought is, you know, uh, something I can share with my friends, but why do I want to share it with my uh, readers? Um, that, that was very hard for me to accept at the beginning. But... But uh, like since I start to engage with so- social media a little bit more, I start to understand, you know, um, understand the function or the features of the social media. Sometimes I've got the like uh, direct messages from my readers a lot. I mean, they ask about this athlete. Do you know more about this athlete? Do you know about more about this team? What has what has happened there? I find out in social media was actually a fascinating way that I can actually contact with my reader. I know about what they actually need. I know about, you know, what they were expecting me to write or what they expected me to report. That actually impact the way that I think about um, 
when I'm reporting, you know, I always want to consider about what the readers are interested is actually have impact the way that I report. And when I start with my PhD, I think I understand these like social media or sports journalism like a bit more than before from a different perspective and it's actually helped me when I'm reporting. Could you sort of give us a description of the newspapers in China, but also how you've gone about researching them? Mm-hmm. Uh, the newspaper in China, I mean, until 2013, before 2013, they're still growing. But like, I think until 2013, um, the readership of their financial income has dropped dramatically oh. uh, because more people are using social media. Uh, that more people prefer getting information from the website. So um, it is actually um, a very, it's, it's a pretty challenging for the sports journalists who actually work at the traditional media, like the newspaper. I had the one research um, I conducted last year. I would try to ask Chinese sports journalists about their perception towards social media, about the impact of the social media to their um, gay pe- keeping roles and also about um, the impact of social media towards their the athlete and the journalism relationship. So um, I asked my friend to distribute the the survey to um, the sports journalists sports journalists uh, in the Chinese newspaper. I've got we've got hundred thirty three uh, responded, and the majority of the Chinese sports journalists they really think. Um, they actually feel a lot of pressure nowadays with the involvement of the social media um, because uh, in the past, they mentioned about in this study, they mentioned about you know, in the past, they don't actually, um, they don't have to, you know, follow the news, you know, 24 sevens. Right now with the social media involved, so they have to follow about the, the social media every day. Um, for the newspaper um, journalists, they really want to have their exclusive news and sources. So as they, you know, obey the exclusive sources, they are very concerned about these sources could be exploited on social media before they publish. So I think the sports journalists face a lot more pressures than before with the involvement of social media. Mm. And mm, sorry. Yeah, and also I find out like it's kind of different from the Western world. When I cover international event, I noticed a lot the majority of the uh, sports journalists from from the Europe, or from Australia, from uh, from the US, they are actually very experienced. They have been working in this industry for like more than twenty years. You know, they are very experienced. They know what to write about. In China, the majority of the sports journalists are very very young. In my survey, one hundred thirty three. Uh, participants, the mean age of the, these 133 participants were 32 years old. Um, like, I can feel like my colleague, my peer, and the majority of them, their ages were about like 20s or 30s. And people uh, don't really want to work, you know, after 35, you still want to work as a sports journalist in China. Uh, one of the main reasons, obviously, um, is the salary has not been improved dramatically, just like any other um, industries. On the other hand, they don't have that many uh, promotion opportunities. 
So that's why uh, when the journalists, they have worked in this industry for about six or six or eight years, they always think about, you know, I need to switch the job to do, to do something else. So this is actually a trend right now in China. You hard to find sports journalists has actually worked for like more than 20 years in this industry. So a lot of the new graduate like every year, they actually involved into the, the media media industry. They start to, you know, chase their dream. However, um, the the middle ages uh, sports journalists, they just want to quit from this business. Now, the other question, I mean, uh, uh, from an outsider's perspective, um, the role of nationalism in media coverage plays a role in, a, in, let's face it, most countries. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in a, in a country tonight where the second Ashes test is a cricket test about to begin. Nationalism is a very strong undercurrent in, in, most, in the coverage of most international sports events. Um, how does it play out in the Chinese context from your perspective as someone who's, you know, how do you balance that, that, that the need to be re- relatively impartial versus catering for an audience that certainly has, you know, uh, wants to see their country do well? Yeah, it's actually very interesting to look at, you know, how media is to use nationalism as a strategy to actually engage with their users or readers. Um, when I was a journalist in the past, I have never thought um, I was actually using your nationalism, um, this kind of like strategy to actually attract attentions. Um, but when I started to research, I realized I really realized that that is actually one of the issues. And I actually study about how Chinese newspaper um, use nationalism as a strategy during the 2014 Intranation Games last year. Um, obviously, especially in the international sports events, like Olympic Games, FIFA World Cups, and those kind of multi-sport events, they provide sports journalists plenty of opportunities for them to try to increase coverage about their own athletes. And they also try to positively um, portray their own athlete and also negatively, negatively uh, portray the other country's athletes. It's very common thing in China as well, especially um, in the Asian Games. Um, the main opponent for the, for the Chinese athletes are the Japanese athletes and Korean athletes. Because of the Japanese athletes, uh, because we have like historical conflict with Japan um, you know, eight uh, years ago, so that actually become one of the way every time the Chinese um, audience want to know more about how Japanese athletes perform. If they perform really bad, I mean, they're really interested in commenting about you know, Japanese athletes' performance uh, negatively. And it's also the same um, about Korean. They are, they are our neighboring countries. So Chinese um, users or readers, they are very interested in noting about their performance in the major sporting events. And they also want to comment about their performance negatively. So it is actually a train right now. I remember when I report the Olympic Games, um, like our company would just say, okay, 
besides you need to really focus on on how Chinese athletes performance in the in the major events you also need to report about you know Japanese and Korean athletes performance because that's something we care about and that's something audience care about and especially the negative news about them would be appreciated because it will definitely attract a lot of attentions in uh, on in the, in the, in the on the websites, and they would actually definitely, you know, um, would be helped with our re- readership. And so I think that has actually impact um, the way we cover sports. Nationalism definitely having some sort of impact on it. And just briefly, for listeners who are unfamiliar with the Asian Games, could you describe how big they are? And Yeah, Asian Games is one of the uh, biggest uh, multi-sporting events in the world so every asian games um just like olympic games asian game has been held in, in every four years and last year's asian game was held in korea in particular um last year's asian game was held in korea uh, which attracted i think nine thousand seven hundred athletes to participate in uh, 32 different sporting sports um, the Asian game is been one of the main um, events in Asia. So in the past, China was really um, Chinese audience or Chinese readers are very interested in Asian game, especially like 20, 20 years ago. Um, like in two thousand in nineteen nineties, Beijing when Beijing held the Asian Games, and I guess the entire country was watching the Asian Games. And one thing is very interesting is like um, 20 years later when Guangzhou, the city, um, held the 2010 Asian Games, the attention dropped dramatically in China. People start to care less, care less about the Asian Games because for the majority of Chinese audience, they think Asian Games is not as interesting as Olympic Games because we have been dominating Asia for so long. I mean, I mean, every time Chinese athletes have won like one third of the gold medals. So I mean, um, just like after the first or second days, you know, you don't have to. The only question is how many gold medals we can get. You know, that's basically that's not competitions between um, the China, Korea, and Japan um, because we've been so dominant in this event. So definitely, that just lacks attention. So for the media. When we cover the Asian game, we try to create this kind of um, competition between China and Japan uh, and Korea, especially in some events. For example, like swimming events. Um, before the Asian game, we, um, a lot of media, they try to um, increase the coverage about Sun Yang Pass uh, and Pa Taihuan. Those two are very popular swimmers in, in China and Korea. They try, they compete pretty much similar events. So the media has actually increased the coverage about it. They try to adjust attention, say, okay, this is going to be the event we're going to watch during the Asian game. This is going to be very important. So we try to emphasize some events, um, try to make that competition between China and Korea and Japan. However, it's actually, the competition is there, but it's not as intensive as we thought it was. Hmm. I'm also aware that you're preparing a number of publications out of your research. Um, what I suppose? How can people contact you and ac- potentially access your research? Um, right now, so we do use the ResearchGate. 
um, as long as I got the publications, um, as long as my article got published, I would just upload there. People can get access to my research. And I think that is the main way that you can get access to my research. All right. Well, look, thank you for your time, Norman, and really good thank luck you. with your PhD. I wish you well. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this talk. I really have a great time here.